0: Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Gray, Georgia. Led by Pastor Randy Darnell, FBC Gray seeks to help people of all walks of life find Jesus and give Jesus away. If you are ever in the middle Georgia area, we would love to see you at one of our services. You can learn more about us at fbcgray.org. Now let's join Pastor Randy as we take another look into God's Word. Get your Bibles out and turn to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to get there in just a second. We'll do the first 17 verses. But what we're going to start with is something else. So hang on. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. and lord of lords. Now well, that's the picture you think of when you think of a conquering king. That's a that is something that we can cheer about. Something that we can hoop and holler about. When you get to reading the rest of Revelation 19, where that came from, you will find that Jesus, by the mere speaking of a word, wipes out every enemy that he's ever had on the face of this earth. They're all done by the mere mention of what he says. There is no power. There is no force. There is nothing anywhere on the face of this earth that can, that can stand in the face of this warrior savior wearing a robe dipped in blood, this Jesus who is our Messiah. We long for the day. We can't wait to see what happens on that day. You think that this pandemic is a big deal. It is nothing on that day. It's wiped out. Every scourge that's ever crossed, the face of this earth, will be wiped out on that day. On that day, every evil person will get the revenge that they have asked for. God's not going to send it on them. They, by their very refusal of Him, have said, I'll take whatever you pour out. And on that day, he's going to pour it out. It's an exciting day. It's a powerful day. It's a bold day. It's an audacious day. And it's going to happen. Now, here's why I'm reading that, why I'm saying this. I don't want you to lose the picture of that. I want that thought to be in your mind the entire time we read this scripture. And as we talk about Jesus, because that Jesus that is coming triumphant on that day is the same Jesus that came triumphant on this day We've just kind of missed that. And I want us to see it this morning. I want us to understand. So Matthew chapter 21, we're going to read the verse 17 verses. In your Bible, <clears throat> in your Bible, it's probably like mine. The heading there is the triumphal entry. It's when Jesus came into Jerusalem. They tore the palm fronds off of the palm trees and laid them in front of him. as He sat on a donkey and they walked through town and everybody's cheering for him. This is what the word of God says. Now, when they drew near, Jesus and his disciples drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you. And immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, put on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees, And spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. And they were saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. what these people are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. I wish we could... I wish we could delve into every little nuance of this. This is so good. There is so much going on here. We're, we know about the first part. We're going to focus on the second part of this this morning. I know I've preached this text at least a half a dozen times. Christ followers, if you've been going to church for any length of time and you've come on a Palm Sunday, you've probably heard this scripture preached on. Jesus came into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey with a colt right beside him to show humility if he had come in on a white horse like he did in Revelation, everybody would have said, well, here's our new prime minister of Israel. This is the guy who's going to make Israel great again. This is the guy that's going to come in here, and he's going to wage war against Rome, and he's going to wipe them out, and we're going to become the powerhouse of the Middle East, and we're going to be restored to the rightful place. The kingdom of David will will rise again if he had come in that way. But he came in on a donkey because the kingdom that he was establishing was completely different than what they had in mind. Now, we're going to look at verse 12 very, very closely. But we want to talk about the things that we might all know first, but then we're going to talk about the thing that I've missed. I didn't catch it until this week, and it, and it makes all the difference in the world. So i want to give you some background. It's like a little history lesson. Daniel Wright will love it. He's a history teacher. Everybody else, just hang in there with me. But you've got to know this because you've got to have the background for all of this to make sense. And to me, it's kind of an interesting story anyway. The high priest of the temple's name was Caiaphas. You're going to know about Caiaphas if you don't know his name already. If you watch The Passion of the Christ this week, you'll hear Caiaphas' name mentioned. Uh, If you read the scripture, the leading up to the crucifixion, all of this happens on the Sunday before Jesus is crucified uh, on the Passover. Uh, So um, uh, you hear Caiaphas' name mentioned in this because Caiaphas was the, the high priest. We look at him as a bad guy. The things that we read and the things that he did to Jesus and the things that he said, we look at him as a bad guy. But back in his day, they didn't really look at him as a bad guy. He was he was a pretty good preacher guy, you know. He was the high priest. He's the one that everybody looked to for wisdom. And he instituted some reforms that that I'm sure that the folks didn't really mind. In fact, they probably thought some of these reforms were a pretty good thing. Like this reform. When people came to the temple to do what the law of Moses told them to do, several things had to happen. They had to pay a temple tax. When we start gathering again, we have a temple tax. When you come in the door, you're going to have to... Yeah, well, I know how far that would go. We would be live streaming, so whatever. But anyway, they had a temple tax. When you came to church, you had to pay a tax to come in the door. It's an admission fee, more or less. But the deal with the admission fee was is that the Ten Commandments tell, tell you not to have any graven image and they didn't like Rome, and Rome's coins had a graven image of, of the, uh, Caesar on that, and they didn't want that at the temple. So what you had to do was change the money from Roman money into temple money into holy money that could be spent in the temple. That was the first thing that had to happen. The second thing that had to happen, if it was like Passover, which is this time is going to be, you've got to have an animal to sacrifice. At this particular time, it would be a lamb or a pigeon. Now, if you're coming from a long way away, here's exactly what would happen. If, you're, if you've ever been a mom or a dad, grandma or grandpa, aunt or uncle with small kids, you're going to know how this has happened. You're coming from a long way away. It's, it's three or four days' journey. You've got to walk. They don't have cars. You know the drill. And they've got little Fluffy the lamb walking with them. And by the time they get to Jerusalem... Little Fluffy is no longer a sacrifice. Little Fluffy's a pet. And now you're going to have to take Little Fluffy and kill him, and the kids are going, and they'll never like you again. So number one, that's a problem. Number two is Little Fluffy has to be a lamb without blemish. And so there were people at the temple that examined the lamb to make sure that it was a lamb without blemish. So you take the best lamb that you've got, you look him over real good, you go, you know, he's, he's, he's perfect, he's a perfect lamb. And you take him to Jerusalem, and the and the lamb police take a good hard look at him, and they notice a little flaw, and so now you've still got to buy a new lamb, and you're stuck with Fluffy the whole time you're in Jerusalem. All kinds of things that could go wrong here. But if you came to Jerusalem and you bought your sacrifice there, it was guaranteed, had a little mark on it, you know, he is perfect. So, works out great. So, the way this thing worked is right outside the temple, right outside the gates of Jerusalem. You've got the gates of Jerusalem, you've got the temple on the inside with a wall around it. On the outsides, the walls of the city of Jerusalem, outside there's a place called the Valley of Kidron. Stay with me. I know it's geography and history, but it's good stuff. Just hang in here. It's the Valley of Kidron, and, and in my mind, if you've ever seen Princess Bride, the little land of thieves where all the marketing and the people, y'all remember that, that towards the end of the That's what I've got in my mind. I probably didn't look like anything like that at all, but that's what's in my head. Merchants and people living there and all this kind of stuff happened in the Kidron Valley. They, the bankers set up the money-changing area there. The animal people set up their booths, and that's where you would go to buy the stuff. Now, here's what here's what happened, but I've sort of embellished a little bit because I'm thinking this is probably the way this came about, but the end result is, is what truly happened here. So part of this is my opinion, my thoughts, and just live with it. But Caiaphas is there, and he's thinking to himself with his leaders, and he says, you know what? it would be a whole lot easier for everybody if instead of going to the Kidron Valley and getting their animal and getting their tax money changed and all that down there and then having to lug it all the way up back up here again, if there was a way that we could move all of that up here and make it more convenient for everybody and we could get a little bit of a, 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 a kickback, lack of a better word, on that, We could raise money for the temple and it'd be a whole lot easier. It'd be a whole lot easier for everybody when they came to Jerusalem. They wouldn't have to go down there. They could just come to the temple and it'd be a one-stop shop. They could just do it all right here. Sort of in my mind, it sort of looks like Smiley's flea market. That the the money changers, the bankers, the bankers and the animal sellers could rent a booth and they'd put the booth up against the outside wall at the temple and everybody could come and buy from that. And then when they bought from that, get a little money back in the temple. It all sounds pretty good. And Caiaphas had a place they could do that at. See, in the main courtyard is the Court of the Gentiles. It's a big area. Anybody could go there. Me and you could go there. And people that went there were people that worshiped God but they were not Jews. And it was a big area, so, you know, it's not going to be that big a deal. We'll just put the booths across the back wall back there. Animals will be there, I know, and, and birds will be there, I know, and money changers will be back there, I know, and, and there'll be some noise as they're haggling about prices and all that. But the Gentiles, the Gentiles will still have room to worship. They may be distracted a little bit, but they have plenty of room to worship. And besides, they can't vote in front, So it does matter too much about those guys they're not one of us let's just do this and everybody thought hey that's cool let's do this and so they they moved everything out of the kidron valley and now it's in the court of the gentiles verse 12 says this and jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Now, I want you to forget right here, I want you to forget little Jesus meek and mild. That guy did not show up that day. That guy was not there. You forget that humble Jesus that was riding on the back of the donkey. And even the wording here that says Jesus drove out, that is so sanitary. To me, it brings the idea of a little border collie that runs around the outside of the sheep and sort of, Okay, y'all need to go out this door and go out this door. You're not supposed to be here. That's not what happened. Have you ever seen a bouncer? Have you ever seen a bouncer? Have you ever been up close and personal to a bouncer? Most of the times a bouncer is a guy that's got more muscles than he's got anything else. And when he looks at you, he has a look on his face that says, if you even think about doing something wrong, I will break you into toothpicks. If you've ever seen a bouncer... I want you to envision a bouncer here. That's what I want you to see Jesus as here. The word drove out means cast out. It means he threw them out with violence and contempt. Randy, this doesn't sound like the Jesus. That's right. It doesn't, does it? Because he's doing something. He threw them out with violence and contempt. He wasn't pleasant. He wasn't kind. He didn't pat them on their little hineys and say, they're there, you shouldn't be here, you should go outside. I envision in my mind an old western movie where he grabs them by the scruff of their neck and throws them through the plate glass window into the street. All around the court of the Gentiles. Jesus went. He's grabbing people. He's throwing them out. He's chasing the animals away. Birds are screeching. They're flying through the air. When he got to the banker's table, I can see them pulling their robes up and trying to put the money in it before Jesus got there. But it was too late. Jesus gets there. He grabs the tables. He flips them. He throws them. He throws these guys out of the temple. Women are screaming. Men are yelling. Jesus is taking no prisoners that day. Why? Why did this guy become somebody that we... We don't think about him ever being this way. And why did Matthew, when you're reading Scripture, I want you to always think about the context that you're reading this into. What did it come out of? Why did Matthew put this story immediately behind Jesus coming into town with people screaming, Hosanna? Why is it there? Did Jesus do this because of his indignation? I've preached that. It's not wrong. It's just not full. Did Jesus do it just for his indignation? The money changers charged ridiculous, ridiculous redemption rates. You might give them $5, and you get $1 back in temporal tax. They would just take you for everything they could. The guys that were selling the animals knew that you were a captive audience, so they charged ridiculous prices. And then whatever they got, the temple got a percentage of that. So the more they made, the more the temple got. And they just sort of turned their back on all of that. And It's okay. It'll all be fine. It was a rip-off for everybody that was buying. It was a bonanza for everybody that was selling. Jesus is all about injustice, right? I mean, come on, guys. We've studied this. We've looked at it. You know, talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Jesus does not look very kindly on people ripping off the poor. Jesus does not look very kindly about people taking advantage of defenseless people. You don't have to look hard through the Bible to see where God says over and over that those are the people that we are supposed to be looking out for. There is a such thing as Christian social justice. I know we hear the word social justice and we get all wadded up over it, but there is something here that we've got to embrace. We have got to get to the point where the Holy Spirit... Breaks our heart for people who are poor, who are defenseless, who are abused, who are different. It's the right thing to do, but that's not what this is about. Two words turn this thing on its head for me. Two words. The words are, and bought. And bought. Listen. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and Bought. Now, wait a minute. Jesus manhandled the rich and powerful. I got that. I understand. That. I don't have a problem with that. Good day for us. But he also manhandled the poor and defenseless. And that just, that just doesn't make sense. Nobody in that place was safe from Jesus that day. In fact, the reason I can say that is the word translated bought not only means people, not only means people who are actively buying something, it includes the people who are simply hanging around watching the show. Do y'all know people who love to people watch? My Uncle Paul, God rest his soul, Paul's been passed away a while back. Paul used to love to go go to Gatlinburg. It's his favorite place in the world to go to Gatlinburg. He and Aunt Margaret would go to Gatlinburg. They'd always take somebody with them. Aunt Margaret and whoever else would go shop in all of the the stores and buy all kinds of stuff. Paul would find him. Y'all know if you've ever been to Gatlinburg, they've got these benches all along the sidewalks. He would find him a bench in the perfect people-watching spot, and he would sit there all day long, and he looked forward to that. When they talked about going to Gatlinburg, that was his thing. He's going to sit on the bench. He's going to people-watch all day long. My granddaddy. When my granddaddy retired, about half a mile from our house was a place called Rebel's Trading Post. Yo, huh, we live in the south. Get over yourself. Rebel's Trading Post. And a little convenience store back before the days of 7-Eleven and all that kind of good stuff. Sold Gulf gas, you know. You could get... Five-gallon can for nothing back in those days. And granddaddy would go at 10 o'clock in the morning to Rebels Trading Post and would not come home until supper time. He would stand there and talk to the owner. He'd talk to everybody that came into the store. He would mind his business. He would mind everybody else's business. That's just what happened. He loved to watch people. If Jesus had come to Rebels Trading Post, my granddaddy would have been thrown out the door. If he had gone to Gatlinburg, my uncle Paul would have been thrown out into the street. Jesus indignantly manhandled everyone who was selling and everyone who was buying and everyone who was an innocent bystander just watching the people check out. They were all guilty. They were all guilty. Doesn't sound right. Doesn't sound like Jesus except for the next verse. Verse 13 says, he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But you've made it a den of robbers. Three things we'll look at. First is this. The temple was my house. Now, you got to think. You got to think. My house. We immediately go, okay, well, it's Jesus. Yeah, it's my house. Jesus is making a proclamation here. When you go back and read the scripture that this, that this is, is coming from, where Jesus is quoting this, God saying it's his house. When Jesus says this is my house, he is equating himself with God. He is making a proclamation to the world that that moment. I am God. This is my house. Now here's the problem. For those of you who are not Christ followers, I want to talk to you for just a second. I want you to think about something. Just just think about it. Just let it Mull, I like to say you're going to mull something over, just mull it over. And let it mull over for a couple of days. Jesus here is claiming to be God. He can't be a good man. He can't be a good man. As we've said a thousand times in the church until it's a cliche, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's the Lord. He is claiming here to be the Lord. He's claiming to be God here. So you can't say... That Jesus was a, was a good man who taught good things. That's nonsense. You don't follow people who are crazy. We have people in our time who claim to be God. They're nuts. You understand? They are nuts. They're crazy. They need psychological help. Something is snapped in their brains. They are not God. And if they have done that, you don't follow their teachings because they're not all there. Or maybe they are like some people that we won't name any of these people, but they'll be on television and they pretend to be something so that you'll send them $1,000. They'll do this and God will do this if you send them money. They're liars. Why do you follow somebody like that? Why would you do that? You don't follow a lunatic. You don't follow a liar. You cannot say that Jesus was a good man who taught good things. Jesus claimed here in this spot to be God. He either is or he isn't. So think about that. Let that mull in your head for just a little while. Second part of this, have you ever thrown anybody out of your house? Have you ever had to throw someone out of your house? I had a relative that had a a good friend of his that he hadn't seen for a long, long time come visit the house. And when the guy came visiting, Man, his language in his, in his time off, his language had gotten really, really, really bad. Uh, very vulgar and obscene, and, and, and my relative just didn't take too well to that. Took it as long as he could, asked the guy to stop. God didn't stop. He had to ask the guy to leave. He had to leave the house. Have you ever had to ask somebody to leave your house? Why did you do that? You did that because they were misbehaving <clears throat> and not misbehaving just a little bit. That's a hard thing to do, to ask somebody to leave. But they were way out of line. The buyers and the sellers were way out of line. Both of them were out of line. The buyers and the sellers, because shouldn't have been doing that in the temple, and the people watching, because they were condoning the activity. They didn't do anything to stop it. They knew it was wrong and they didn't do anything to correct that wrong. They were all guilty. Number two, my house shall be called a house of prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is not talking to God. Prayer is having a conversation with God where you talk to Him and He talks back to you. On my way down here this morning to get ready for, for, get ready for our, our service this morning, I listened to praise music all the way down here because that was my prayer to God this morning. I didn't ask him for anything except that all of our technical stuff would go right today and that people would hear his word, but everything else didn't matter. That's what, that's what we do. That's what prayer is. It's a communication. It's a back and forth with God. Prayer is where you might speak, but you might not speak, and Lord will speak to us. Now, I don't know if you know or not. I have a little hang-up with what we call our big room over there. I call it a sanctuary. Now you can say, Randy, it's because you're an old man and you were born when dinosaurs ruled the earth. I understand that. I understand that. But it's more than that to me. I know a lot of people call it a worship worship center. They have worship experiences there. I can't have that. It's a sanctuary. It is a place that has been dedicated and set apart specifically for us to communicate with God, and for God to communicate with us. We need to think hard about what we do in that room. Just like Caiaphas should have thought real hard about what he was doing, we should think real hard about what we do to make sure that we're, we're not stepping out of bounds on that. Not being legalistic that if you do this, God's going to strike you dead. But to make sure that, that we understand that this is a meeting place where God has come To meet his people, and we have come to meet our God. That brings us to point number three, which is kind of implied here. He says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Now, doesn't say for all people, but that's the implication because of where he was. The reason the buyers and the innocent bystanders were manhandled out of the place is because they were just as guilty. The area where they were set up was the place where the nations came to worship. See, Jesus didn't come into town to make a new Israel. He came into town to set up a new kingdom, his kingdom. On earth as it is in heaven, he came to establish that. This place is a place where Greeks would come to worship, where Ethiopians would come, where Indians would come, where Spaniards would come. Let me read to you from what it's going to look like from Revelation chapter 5. It says, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, from every language, from every people, from every nation. If you've got a race that you've got a problem with, you need to get over it because one day when we get to heaven, we're all going to be there every last one of them. And here's what Jesus is doing here. The main point is coming. Get ready. Here we are. This servant leader, this humble Jesus who mounted on a donkey, this man who washed the feet of his disciples, who forgave the sins of the prostitute, who touched a super contagious leper and cleansed him of his disease and his sin, this man who healed a woman by the mere touch of the hem of his garment, this man who fed 5,000 people with five loaves and a few fishes, this man who walked on water, this man who calmed the raging seas, this man who raised a girl from the dead with a touch and a word, this man who called one of his best friends out of a grave by name, this man, this humble man, came raging into the temple in Jerusalem, into the court of Nations, into the only place where you and I would have been welcomed. And he came into this place as the roaring lion of Judah to begin the final steps to establish His reign and His rule over this whole earth. All of the plants, all of the animals, the seven billion people on this earth, this planet Jesus came to, and with a mighty roar that day, uncharacteristic of what we thought of Him, He stood in that room and He proclaimed to the world, this is mine. This is mine. And I came choosing by the power of my blood to set it free. There's the difference. Listen to me. This Jesus who will one day return on a white stallion is the same Jesus who came into town on the donkey that day. This Jesus will come one day for the final battle. He's going to cast out the evil one And all of his minions, he's going to throw them into the lake of fire. And every last evil person and all of death is going to go along with them one day. But the good news is, for now, for this day, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. He cleared out the courts of the Gentiles to make a place for you and for me to be. He had his mind made up. This wasn't the holy, lowly, meek and mild. This was a Jesus that knew the person that put every stripe on his back. He knew the man that put the crown of thorns on his face, on his head. He knew the person who spit in his face. He knew the name of the man that would hold the nail that would be driven into his hands and his feet. He knew the name of the man that was going to uh, use the hammer to drive those nails into his hands and his feet. And he could have said at any minute any one of their names and called their lives away from them. But he didn't do that because the Lion of Judah strode majestically through that week. He allowed the arrest. He allowed the trial. He allowed the crucifixion because he knew that someone had to carry the sins of all the world, of all of those who were called and chosen by God or they would be lost for all eternity. Jesus was at war. Defeat was not an option. The warrior, victor, king strode into the room that day. Jesus, my Savior. Now listen, Jesus offers a chance for everybody to be saved. What have you got to be saved from? You get to be saved from God's wrath. You get to be saved from His anger. You see, God created us. God created everything that is, and He established rules for us. And we've broken every one of them. Some of us have done it with a bit of splash. And some of us have done it pretty quietly, and some of us have done it by standing back and just watching and letting other people do evil things, and we've said nothing to change anything. But like those who were simply standing there in the temple, we knew better. We know better. We knew what was going wrong. We did nothing. We are as guilty as everybody else because God created us He gave order to the world and to our lives. And he has a right to expect us to comply, not because he's an egomaniac, but because he knows how life is supposed to be lived for our good. And when we refuse to do that, we're rebels. Rebels deserve judgment. Judgment deserves punishment. But I don't know if if you've got children or you've had children. When they do something wrong and you've got to punish them, it still breaks your heart. You hate to see them, especially as they get older and things happen to them. It kills you to see that happen. We get that from our Father in heaven. He decided that he would allow Jesus to die our death for our sins if we would change our heart from following ourselves to following Jesus. And if you'll do that today, right now, Commit your life to Jesus. Our Father in heaven will right now give you a brand new life. And you know it. You know it. You know that he will do that. And one other thing. Got just one more thing to do here. But one other thing I want just one or two of you probably to think about. You've been alone so long in your life. You feel rejected by everybody that's come along. You feel like nobody's ever truly loved you except for those that could get something out of you. You feel God, kind of the same way with him. How could he love you? Why would he love you? Why in the world would, would he even care? You may be thinking right now, some of you are, that, that I've done things that, listen, you're not more powerful than God. There is nothing that you can do that he hasn't made a way for you to be forgiven. And he doesn't want anything from you except for you to follow him. That's all. You can be accepted this morning. The rejection you you feel can be removed. You can be accepted for the first time in your life. I'm going to say a prayer. Don't just say it. there's no magic in a prayer. There's no magic in a prayer. But if this is your heart, I ask you to say a prayer like this to God this morning. See what He'll do. Our Father, Lord, God, nobody has ever really cared for me, I feel like. Maybe my Maybe it was my mom, my dad, somebody, something. I felt like forever that I'm alone. And Lord, when I look at you, I wonder why would you want me either? I have done things that are wrong, that I'm ashamed of. I've watched other people do stuff. I've not even tried to stop them. I don't care. What I I want is I want somebody To simply love me and not want anything from me. I know that I've sinned and I know that I'm powerless to stop. I know that you're real. And I know that if you don't do something for me, I'm going to be this way for the rest of eternity. I don't want to be this way. I want to be with you. Forgive me. We both know what I've done. You know things that I've done that that I don't even know about. Forgive me, and I commit right now to the best of my ability that I'll follow Jesus for the rest of my life. I am not going to be good at it. I don't even know where to start. But you said you'd take care of me, so I'm going to trust you. Please save me in Jesus' name, because that's what Jesus would want. Amen. If you pray that prayer sincerely, something new just happened to you. I would ask you, if, if you're bold enough, to put it in the comments on the page that you're watching. We'll get in touch with you. If you want to, you can direct message me. You can email me. You can text me. I'd love to talk to you to help you get started on your new life. Because that's all <clears throat> it takes is receiving what Jesus offered to you. And for us Christ followers this morning... The Lion of Judah is raging right now. We need to quit thinking about meek and lowly and us walking around meek and lowly. Yes, we need to be humble. Yes, we don't need to think more of ourselves than we ought to. But our side wins. And we need to start walking around as people who have hope, who know that even if we wanted to rush the gates of hell, we would prevail. Because the Lion of Judah is on the loose. In Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for another episode from FBC Gray. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single message. For more information about First Baptist Gray, visit us online at fbcgray.org. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue helping people find Jesus and give Jesus away.